0: Is your media business doomed? And SNL Saturday Night Live says the future of advertising is not ads. This is episode 42 of Media Unplugged, the podcast that goes behind the spin to reveal what's really happening in media.
1: Media Unplugged with Tom Asaka and Mark Ramsey.
0: Welcome to Media Unplugged. I am Mark Ramsey. And I'm Tom Asaka. Tom is your media business doomed i don't know Do you like the way i i hold on that doomed Yeah, no, that rated that, that i felt it <laughs> <laughs> this article from medium.com your media business will not be saved written by a co-founder of the verge so this gives you a sense of what uh, the uh the, the bona fides for this guy are <laughs> um here's how it begins i just want to re- read a little bit of this so bear with me video will not save your media business nor will bots Newsletters, a morning briefing app, a lean-back iPad experience, Slack integration, a Snapchat channel, or a great partnership with Twitter. All of these things might help, but even then, you will not be saved by the magical new thing that everyone else in the media community is convinced will be the answer to the problem. What's the problem, you ask? <laughs> the problem is that we used to have a really neat and tidy version of a media business where very large interest controlled vast swaths of the things we read, watched, mm. and listened mm. to, and then digital, and then you and me, and then all of a sudden these old fixed channels started falling apart, and then he says a second thing happened, and that's when those foundational publishing challenges, the, the industry which had controlled the ability to reach a populace through ownership of things like printing presses, began to cede its power in the delivery and distribution process to other people. Here's those other people, you can almost hear the sneering tone, (laughs) people who didn't care about or understand the media business, people who told them the answer wasn't the best of something, it was the most of something. And here's the nub of the piece. The media industry now largely thinks its only working business model is to reach as many people as possible and sell, usually programmatically, but sometimes not, as many advertisements against that audience as it can. If they tell you otherwise they're lying. They are also wrong, I believe, in the long run. Tom, hmm. <laughs> are they wrong, I believe, in the long run?
1: You know, I was when I was reading this, I, I was thinking, you know, is there a silver bullet? That will save someone's media business, and then I thought about that metaphor, and I said, "Wait a minute, that's the wrong metaphor. Silver bullets; those are used to kill monsters, and not werewolves specifically. Right? Tough. Yeah, and nothing's <laughs> going to kill the monster that's haunting everyone. That's the internet. Right. Right. So let me rephrase: Is there a magic bullet that will mm-hmm. cure the disease that ails most media businesses? No, because that disease is market fragmentation. Mark, this is, nothing, this is so interesting because people keep writing about this like it's new. Let me tell you something. Ten years ago, I stood up in front of the world's largest advertisers and their agencies. And I described the disruptive change that we're seeing in the media advertising ecosystem back then. Let me tell, share with you how I described it, okay? It's a visual metaphor. <laughs> This is, I, I found the words. This is the exact words that I use. I said, the marketplace of old, now that was 10 years ago, resembles a mass of caterpillars, consumers, <laughs> hanging around the tree of traditional media, print, TV, and radio, venturing down the branches of mass distribution, <laughs> and consuming the offshoots of brand advertisers. Right, And then I said, this is 10 years ago. Those days are long gone. The masses have escaped their pupa, spread their distinctive wings, and are fluttering around fields blossoming with an abundance of colorful and succulent offerings, a fleeting glimpse as all one usually gets of them. Now, if an economy refers to what is scarce and valuable, mm. this is not an information economy. We're in an attention economy today. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that's what's going on.
0: That's an interesting point. And what you essentially did was you took an off-ramp in the middle of his article, and and the rest of his article was just past that off-ramp, screaming for you to get back on the highway, because he has a magic bullet. As you know, he has a magic bullet, which is is not what you described, right? Um, And quite in contrast, his magic bullet, which will not surprise you, is your problem is that you make shit. Oh, that's it. Huh? A lot of shit. Mm. Cheap shit. And no one cares about you or your cheap shit. And an increasingly aware, connected, immutable audience is onto your cheap shit. They don't want your cheap shit. They want the good shit. And they will find it somewhere. Hell, they'll even pay for it. I think he's absolutely wrong. Yeah, no, this is the whole This is the whole purple cow straw man. Uh, how many times
1: have we heard this? Yeah. And yet the purple cows are not the things that dominate the economy. Still. Right. Look, and he wrote that the media industry. <laughs> he says this. I didn't say it. He says the media industry is a hulking, stupid, slow-moving beast that has <laughs> that has little awareness about its threats. First of all, it's not the media industry, right? Because mm-hmm. last time I looked, Google and Facebook are part of the media industry, and they're massive.
0: And there is no media industry person. Right. In and
1: believe me, it's not that legacy media businesses are stupid. I've worked with many of them. You have two. They have some of the smartest people on the planet working for them. What's happening is what happens to every complicated organism or collective over time. They have unknowingly developed this built-in immune system that rejects anything new, anything that looks like a perceived threat to its survival. The human mm-hmm. body does the same thing, right? It'll, it will reject a new heart even though it's good for it. So the organization has this mind and will of its own, and it's going to exercise that will to protect itself in the present. It's not really too concerned about somewhere out in the future. Mm So, I, I mean, this is... I, I don't know. I mean, the, 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 how he says this these stupid, slow. I mean, come on, Mark.
0: You know. Well, it, look, look, listen to the way he—he he kind of caps it. The truth is, well, anytime you use that expression, you're very confident. The truth is that the best and most important things the media, let's say specifically the news media, has ever made were not made to reach the most people. They were made to reach the right people. That's abjectly wrong, I know, Tom. I know. I mean, is that, so the network news was created to reach the right people, not the most people. TV ratings exist because of our interest in reaching the right people, not the most people. The Olympics air to reach the right people, not the most people. Home Depot, Coke, McDonald's, they put their ads on mass media to reach the right people, not the most people. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it was called mass media. <laughs> And then he goes on to talk about the importance of things that I think are, I mean, these things are important. They're just not not decisive. Compelling voices and stories, real and raw talent, new ideas that actually serve or delight an audience. Nobody's going to disagree with that, right?
1: No, his prescription sounds right. He says, think of your platform as an actual platform, not a delivery method. And and then he goes on, and I'm reading, think of your business as a product and storytelling business not a headline and body copy business think of your audience as finite and building a sustainable business model around that audience
0: mark isn't that every business's prescription today Yes, that's the challenge everywhere. Everywhere, And he adds, we'll we'll, we'll have to learn a thousand hard lessons, most of them centered around the idea that if you want to make something really great, you can't think about making it great for everyone. You have to make it great for someone, a lot of people, but not every person. I don't know. It's like, if if it's not great for someone, it's never going to be great for everyone. And I would also argue, is good for everyone better than great for someone? (laughs) I mean, in, in a world where, because here's the problem, Tom. And you kind of alluded to this when you talked about the attention economy. The idea that we create more compelling voices and stories, more kind of niche products aimed at someone, not everyone, creates this abundance of content, abundance of product, right? Abundance of things jockeying for attention. <laughs> That's right. In the very time when attention is 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 most scarce and time is most fleeting. <laughs> that listen, this is the paradox of our time. The the more the more we
1: desire something more customized to our taste, the more people are going to scramble to try to provide that. And, and we can't keep up with it. The stuff that gets thrown at us left, in, I don't know about you, I can't keep up with it.
0: No, of course not. Right?
1: So, you know, it, 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 the thing is, is he, he said, here is everybody's sick and we should all try to get better. But he didn't say how anyone was going to do that. And it's the how that everyone is struggling to figure out. I mean, That's right. right. There were approaches, but his article didn't get in any approaches.
0: Now, I, th- I think ultimately it's, it's written from the perspective of someone who bemoans the existence of these platforms at scale driving down uh, ad rates and um, struggling to monetize. Not at all from the perspective of consumers just trying to f- stay afloat in an ocean of content. <laughs>
1: Oh look at like I said, it this is facing you don't think McDonald's sits around and says, Oh, I'm getting sick of all these hamburger joints opening up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to Media Unplugged to Tom Asacker and Mark Ramsey. Tom SNL says the future of advertising is not ads, and SNL knows advertising. I think that's safe to say. Here's the piece from uh from um whatever the publication oh the rap. The rap. Saturday Night Live creator Lauren Michaels has been in talks with NBC Universal for months about one of the biggest changes to the show in four decades, an attempt to make more people watch Saturday Night Live live. You would think this is something (laughs) they would have thought about before now. Michaels says the decision to replace two full commercial breaks of every episode, which I believe is approximately 2% of the commercial breaks, if I remember right, with sponsored content, Quote, we'll give time back to the show and make it easier to watch the show live because commercials make watching hard. (laughs) The hope is to integrate ads into the comedy instead of interrupting it. Sounds familiar. But Michaels and NBC also want to stop slipping ratings. The joint plan is based on a simple theory. Fewer commercials means less walking away from the TV, not as much channel surfing, and particularly for the 11.30 p.m. show, less opportunity to turn your set off and go to sleep. In other words, bigger live Nielsen numbers (laughs) the problem couldn't possibly tom be anything related to content i'm sure no look so (laughs) because as we all know you know 90 minutes of saturday night live has always been the best 30 minutes of comedy on television
1: look so this is someone's, you know, so here's someone's how. This is, this is his solution to the, the dis-ease that ails media brands, right? But I, I don't think so. I mean, I think, this is, I think this is a dangerous move by Michaels because of what the brand was. And maybe maybe they're still hanging on to it, what it was. But what it was was a freewheeling, impartial, screw it, screw them, whoever them is, type of you know writing staff. And the minute the writers at SNL have to be conscious of their humor, have mm-hmm. any concern at all about, uh-oh, we've got this advertiser, and I wonder what he thinks about this, I'm telling you that's the beginning of the end of the brand. It's going to turn art into craft, and the magic's going to go right along with it.
0: I think it's safe to say that um, while brand managers for major brands who are, you know, doing these television deals probably have a sense of humor. It pretty much stops at the brand's door.
1: <laughs> no, I, listen, exactly. <laughs> Wouldn't you say that? No, exactly. Look, Mark, <laughs> look, help me with something here because you, you, you understand these, these numbers and things. And a lot of times they confuse me. So my economics degree, I just can't keep up with these number things. <laughs> it says that, that SNL was after bigger live Nielsen numbers. Right. How does Nielsen know if someone on their couch with a TV on is looking down at their iPad, or if they or if they fell asleep or something?
0: What well, What do you mean? They don't know if they fall asleep. They know if they turn off the TV. No,
1: I know, but half the time when Saturday Night Live is on, I've I've already fallen asleep.
0: <laughs> no, this, <laughs> no, believe me, <laughs> that's the 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 chal- This is what I'm saying when it comes to content. The notion that the job of the show is to keep you awake is not even under consideration. Right. So my question is okay.
1: how is unless Nielsen has like eye trackers to see that my eyes are open. <laughs> How do they know they're going to create bigger Nielsen numbers?
0: Well, I think it would be...
1: <laughs> I don't know. I'm missing something. SNL
0: has to work from an audio standpoint, too. I'm missing something. SNL... I think
1: about it. I'm missing something. Can you imagine, like, all of a sudden, because there's no, no ads where you pause and go to the refrigerator, right? What are you going to yell to the other room? Hey, hey, guys. Come watch Saturday Night Live. The ads, they're they're integrated into the show.
0: There's fewer ads now. Now fewer ads than ever. I love that. That's why people are going to run to watch it? Here's what I was going to ask you. It seems to me, I thought this native ad thing, this integration of ad thing, has been going on forever. What was the Target lady but advertising integration? You mean to tell me Target didn't pay for that segment? No, I know. You know the- I mean that that's years old. just this past weekend I heard them in weekend update they integrated McDonald's and McGriddle. Into one of the segments. Now I don't know if this thing I it's hard for me to believe they do that simply because it's expedient, not because someone's paying for it, because it's not that essential. It's certainly not that funny. Look, I
1: think these people think that they can do it in, in a in a way that's not as overt. You you remember the red Coca Cola cups on which, American which is, Idol, wait a minute. right? Remember? They're
0: gonna do it they're gonna do it in a way that's not as overt, which is why it becomes a news headline. <laughs> <laughs> in the rap so that they keep it a secret. <laughs> exactly. Now we're all looking for it. <laughs> I One other thought I had about this, which is, you know, I mean, the question of why are the ratings down for the show at a time when, you know, its hits go viral like never before. I mean, you can't watch Monday morning uh, television without seeing highlights from SNL. And I thought about that. I thought about that a lot. And I was thinking that, you know, In a sense, you could say, well, if we make these hits available, if we make them viral, if we put them out via social and so on, that'll promote the show, that'll promote tune-in. And I believe that's true to a degree. I also think, however, that the more you make the hits inescapable for me, the viewer, Mm -hmm. the hits, Mm -hmm. the less I will have to work hard to see them. And there's nothing harder than showing up at 1130 at night on a Saturday.
1: See, that's the thing, Mark. Um, this show is not a narrative. It's not that's it. it's not a narrative. It's not even like a game, like a football game where you know that's a narrative. So, yeah, show me the I, best highlights so I can go to sleep.
0: I <laughs> I'm I'm, say, I'm saying that it, 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 to take that even farther. Not only is it not a narrative, I would say the show is not a show. Now, putting out the highlights becomes the show because in a world where my attention span is shorter than ever, I don't need to consume 90 minutes in order to get my fill. Exactly. If you give me the highlights and I can consume them at my at my uh, convenience, I've just seen the show. Yep. Whether you call it a show or not is irrelevant to me. The highlights become the show. <laughs> right. And listen,
1: not even just the entertainment value, but also the social value of being able to share those clips so you didn't even have to watch the TV. You still had the social value of saying, did you see this really funny clip on Saturday Night Live?
0: <laughs> it's absolutely true. Yep. I mean, the show becomes the clip, and the clip becomes the show. Why should I sit there at 1130 just because there are to a To watch the uh, ads, Mark. <laughs> to watch the- I know. that. <laughs> well, that's what they should do. Make the ads even better still, not just funny. Make them as clips. Make them as clips, exactly. <laughs> Tom, it's time for Ransom and Raves. <laughs> Okay, what do you have for and so I week? was going to
1: rant <laughs> on the absurd move by InBev, right, a corporation headquartered in Belgium, to change the name of Budweiser to America. And they're going to print America <laughs> on the cans.
0: I hadn't heard oh, that. Oh, yeah, they're
1: going to print in the Budweiser script America on the cans of Budweiser until <laughs> the November elections. Now, to me, that's ripe for a Saturday Night Live parody. So I, I hope they grab you that. Mean-
0: you mean literally change the name of the of the brand? Yeah, yeah. Until the, uh, November elections. So if I go looking for Budweiser on the you're, store shelves, all I see is America. Yeah.
1: So if you send <laughs> if you send somebody really dumb to the store, they're going to say there was no Budweiser. There was a whole bunch of America, but I didn't buy any. But then I read about Gucci, right, the Italian luxury brand, and I said, I, I'll rant on these guys instead because it's, it was kind of upsetting. So in Hong Kong, this is interesting. Paper replicas of items like mansions, cars, luxury bags. They're burnt by people in the belief that their deceased relatives can use them in the afterlife. So that's wonderful, right? I mean, that's that's great. But Gucci, they're not going to have any of that. They sent warning letters to the Hong Kong shops that were selling paper versions of their products, telling them they were infringing their trademark. (laughs) So now the Hong Kong dead will go bagless, at least no Gucci bags in the afterlife. And it's a double whammy since most living people in Hong Kong can't afford one of those bags in the first place. (laughs) Now, so I think that's wrong, speaking for the dead, and I think Gucci should be ashamed of themselves. But here's the good news. Apple no longer exclusively owns the iPhone brand name in China. A Chinese company won the right to sell handbags branded iPhone. Wow. So I'm sure they'll be creating paper versions for the dead soon. So take that, Gucci.
0: <laughs> I I can't believe Apple doesn't have better lawyers than that. I, I guess. Unbelievable. So that's my rant. <laughs> that's terrific. All right. I've got a, a, a couple. The first one this one really got under my skin Um, Sean Parker you will know as the co-founder of Napster the first president of Facebook and he's got a new thing that is called screening room that you may have heard of it's his idea to offer moviegoers new releases in their homes for fifty dollars per viewing on the same day they hit theaters this is the infamous day and date thing that we've been talking about on and off for a long time you know, is $50 the right price? Who knows? Theater, go, or, uh, theater uh, distributors, of course, hate this. Some filmmakers love it. Some filmmakers hate it. But there was a, an editorial in, again, The Wrap, uh, by a guy who is the former head of Ticketmaster. So you can see where this is going to go because the title of the piece is Why Sean Parker's Screening Room Plan to Homestream New Movies for $50 is Absurd. He's going to take issue with the price point. Why? Let me repeat that. The CEO of Ticketmaster... Yeah,
1: what's going on here? What's his his deal?
0: Where you can find a a headline on Reddit that goes, Ticketmaster charging $55.80 service charge on $75 ticket. That Ticketmaster, (laughs) everyone's favorite service provider... has has the feeling that that's absurd. So I thought, well, that's interesting. Why is that? His article really uh, comes down to this. He says, Home viewing of a lower-budgeted movie like Brooklyn or The Room might cost $200 to $250, while a blockbuster like Jurassic World or Star Wars might be $600 to $700. What is this guy talking about? Tom, this is the CEO of Ticketmaster. Let me remind you, this is analogous to how pricing evolved in the live music business. His point is that this is about convenience, convenience. When I took over a struggling company called Ticketmaster in the early 1980s, no one scaled concert tickets. They were all priced at $18 to $25, front row to back row. Today, ticket pricing is scaled, and people pay as much as $5,000 or more per ticket for VIP access, (laughs) he says proudly. (laughs) Not everyone will be willing or able to spend hundreds of dollars to receive first-run movies in their homes, but a lot of people will. It's called convenience. People aren't only paying for the movie. They're paying for the convenience of having it in their own home. Now, I thought this was just so strange considering, you know, when it comes to the music industry, stealing music is convenient, right? Going to a show, the thing that Ticketmaster did, is the opposite of convenient, right? Right? that you're going for a unique, one-of-a-kind experience that's social and 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 tactile and, and you know, and, and real. You're going for an experience. It's the opposite of convenience. So for him to have the nerve that in any way a movie is the same as a scarce, yeah. once-in-a-lifetime, tactile, in-person, live concert experience, I mean, the two things just seem to have nothing in common to me. That's not what
1: he's saying. You know what he's saying? He's what? saying... You know you know what people are going to do. They're going to order this movie for $50 and they're going to put 10 people in the room and charge them 5 bucks each and they're all going to sit and watch this thing. That's what he's saying. He's, so? saying, he's saying if you're going to if you're going to get the movie and charge your friends to come watch it, then the price should be a lot
0: higher. That's what he's saying. Uh, I don't I who knows. I think it's just loony. The idea that anyone could evaluate a could could put a value on a movie. As you know, Tom, most people don't watch a movie, new or otherwise, with that many people outside their own family. It's not like a sporting That's event right. and even it, most of those not, it's aren't not watched on That's championship fight, right? That's it. Okay, the second one I have oh, is you're again not done both, ranting, huh? Yeah, <laughs> I mean this one's a little more uh temporal. Okay. Um, This is actually two articles. Uh, One is uh, from The Wrap. It's another guest blog, and it's called Why Broadcast TV Advertising is in Trouble. And the other one is from our friends at Media Village, and the title is Striking Ad Spend Bonanzas in the Year to Date. (laughs) (laughs) Now, if those sound like opposite to you, Tom, they're opposite to you, Tom. Here's what the Media Village thing says. An analysis of the broadcast year to date shows that five of the top six broadcast networks are all enjoying positive ad spend growth. On average, the six are up 11% over the 2014 to 15 broadcast year results. Meanwhile, this rap piece, you may ask, well, what the heck is that based on? That's based on research. You know that old research, that old research, research. that old and new research I know that shows share of ad spend on one dimension and... Uh, percent of total media consumption time on the other, with a diagonal that says any uh, distribution channel should be on that line such that the amount of money spent in advertising should equal the amount of time spent by consumers. You know what I mean. You've seen those pictures before, right? I've seen
1: some of them, but you're, you're going a little inside baseball on these people listening here, Mark.
0: <laughs> All right, I'm sorry. <laughs> So basically, the idea is that um, that money, that ad money, should follow attention. That the more attention uh, television gets, or radio, or cable TV, or internet, or mobile, or newspapers. Uh, the more money should flow in those directions. And as attention changes, money should change too. And eventually it should change in proportion such that everything will fall on that line so that the more attention I get, the more money my platform gets. The less attention I get, like newspapers, the less money my platform gets, right? Does that make sense? That makes sense. The problem is that I don't, I feel like, and again, this this headline from Media Village just, just spells it out. I feel like the data don't bear this out. I mean, the fact that newspapers over time have a smaller share of media consumption and a smaller share of ad spend doesn't necessarily mean that everything will work that way. Um, the fact that mobile has skyrocketed in terms of uh, consumption time, but not yet skyrocketed in terms of ad spend proportionally, people say, well... It's only a matter of time. It has to catch up, you know, which is another way of saying the data doesn't fit our model, but our model can't possibly be wrong. (laughs) It's just a matter of time. So specifically, this was a warning to broadcast television because broadcast TV is obviously reduced in terms of percent of total media consumption time. Um... So the, the piece says, in summary, for almost all media, ad spend follows consumer time. Again, I don't think that data necessarily bears that out. And the dots tend to track towards the 50-50 line. But one medium resisted gravity. In 2002, broadcast TV straddled the the line. In 2015, it's not even close. In other words, it gets way more ad revenue than its share of consumption time should justify. What does the bucking of the trend mean for the future of broadcast TV? If ad dollars follow time share, we could see a 25 to 50% drop in broadcast TV ad revenues. But for now... Advertisers are sticking with broadcast TV. As hot as digital advertising seems to be these days, many advertisers will find that, that, will find that uh, it doesn't provide the same reach and return on investment that broadcast TV does. In other words, Tom, there are more dimensions to this equation than simply the amount of time people spend with the medium, more dimensions that determine the value of that medium from an advertising perspective. That is true. Well, that's the only point I wanted to make. I thought you'd have more to say than that. (laughs) We should have said that first. (laughs) It's coming a little quicker than I thought, but that's Media Unplugged for this week. Please remember to subscribe to us at iTunes or on Stitcher. And while you're there, please rate the show. It helps other folks discover us in case you consider that a good thing. You can also catch us at SoundCloud, Podcast One. Radio Inc., Media Village, Net News Check, and the American Marketing Association. Although we should be featured at the Wrap, too, considering like five of the pieces <laughs> are from the Wrap this week. And the American Marketing Association. Did I mention that? You said it. You can follow Tom on Twitter at Tom Asaker and Mark at Mark Ramsey Media. Send us your questions and comments using hashtag MediaUnplugged. If there's a media topic you want us to cover, tweet us. Not
1: research and data oriented.
0: <laughs> Apparently anything <laughs> that involves a chart, Tom doesn't want me to talk about. You can read the show notes and share the show Show at our website, mediaunplugged.net. Special thanks to the super amazing producer of Media Unplugged, a man of just unbelievable patience and integrity, Absolutely. Jeff Schmidt, exciting audio for media. you can fi- Except in this case. <laughs> you, you can find him at jeff-schmidt, S-C-H-M-I-D-T dot com. For Tom Asaker, I'm Mark Ramsey. Thank you for listening.